This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. I think of Ugo Amadi, Marquise Blair. There's some other guys that fit into this category of guys that are kind of waiting to see if maybe they might take a star turn. Like they're supporting cast members. They're guys that have Cody Barton's on this list. Daryl Taylor, not really because he hasn't played yet. LJ Collier. But those guys who have kind of hung out that you know that they're they're solid rotational pieces and you're kind of like, hey, is that guy going to take, take a monster leap? I actually think Ugo Amadi, because of what he's done, his confidence with the ball, I think he's got some playmaking instincts. I, I really like to see that, but I'm, I was glad to get a chance to talk to him. It is Danny and Galan. It's Monday, August 2nd. It's time for us for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Galan. Blue 42! Blue 42! Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. I'm doing great. Doing great. Did the Oregon Duck song come up in the conversation with Ugo at all? Did we... We, we did not sing that. <laughs> Come listen to my story about the stupid, stupid ducks. <laughs> A mediocre school whose football team stunk. <laughs> Till old Kenny Wheaton, he made a lucky guess. And Sugar Daddy Phil, he funded their success. You have those lyrics down, Danny. You got I do. Ones right, right at the tip of the tongue. Every That's correct. Spent a lot of time penning that classic. Awesome. I always get excited Nike Gold. that song because my dad and I actually used to watch the Beverly Hillbillies when I was a little kid. I don't know why we did, but uh, I very much enjoyed that show. Anyway, Brock, uh, question. Next thing you know, the Ducks are stinking rich. <laughs> a hundred bunch on. of ugly uniforms, and every week they switch. <laughs> I don't want to let the two purple dudes just go to town on Oregon. I feel like somebody's going to stand up for the green. They home. fashioned themselves members of the National Elite. <sighs> But their local Yokel fans were missing most of their teeth. Question, Question one. one, Brock. Injury-wise, <laughs> the Seahawks haven't seen anything serious like we're seeing with Indianapolis because the Colts, they might not have Carson Wentz week one. We'll see how that one develops. But between Ethan Posick, Dwayne Eskridge, Marquise Blair, Posick dealing with a hamstring injury, Eskridge a foot injury, Marquise Blair, someone stepped on his heel yesterday. What, what injury are you most concerned with? Oh, I, I don't think there's any question it's Eskridge. Yeah. Uh, he's he's the one losing the most ground. He's the one with the absolute most to prove. And you took him where you took him because of pretty significant need of, of his kind of unique talent. That you need that young burner with some strength and, and super adept in the special teams phase. As a returner, you want to take that burden away from Tyler Lockett at this stage of his career. And, and you want him in the slot. You need him in the slot, Paul. On those jet sweeps and screens and bubbles and everything else that you want to do, so I don't, I don't think there's any question. And unfortunately, falls in line with with a number of early round picks here lately that have come in. I don't want to say damaged goods. I don't know when this happened. I don't know the total severity of it, but he missed a lot of OTAs. He's missing a bunch of training camp, and unfortunately for him, and I think this team and their, their need at that position, it's a bad deal. I will say this, Brock. Pete's explanation of it, of, hey, it's something that happened in a walkthrough. <laughs> it's like, come on. 
It was like Rashawn Sheehy with a weight falling on his foot. Is that what it is? No, no. No, actually, you got your injuries. Lester Towns Lester, was the weight falling. Sorry, Lester weight falling on his foot. Rashawn Sheehy was, it happened during practice when he right. jumped off of a balcony of a Lake City apartment to escape yes. gunfire. Yes, yes. Very, very similar. I do. I do enjoy reading the transcripts at times of Pete's stuff. Well, we're going to put a good thought in for him, and we're, we got a strong thought on that one. <laughs> like, well, my favorite, my favorite one is when he says we're going to take care of him because I always sound like it's going to they're going to take him out back and put him down. Yes. We're going to take care of him. So, is it a big toe injury? Is it turf toe? That's kind of what. That's what you, I think it is. That's I think what it is too, and yeah. and it sucks because it's not something you can go in and fix. If it was, they would have done that months ago. Yeah, um, you know, like Patrick Mahomes did, and you see the recovery for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's a long extended recovery and surgery and everything else they're not going that route they've tried to let time and rest and rehab heal it that seems to not be working so yeah you'd think of all things really the most i don't know just benign turf toe is something that can slow you down significantly but certainly can it's the biggest misnomer of any injury out yes like seriously like when you say oh he's got a turf toe and it sounds like he stubbed his toe when you're like, no, actually what happened was it dislocated from the ball of his foot, then went back into place. It's incredibly painful, and it's hard to do anything and that requires you pivoting have, or moving. Uh, yes, times you tear a tendon as well, which I think ah. Mahomes did, and, and thus you got to go in and repair it. So that, to me, is the one that's that's certainly stinging and lingering the most. Now, the good news is he's running. We don't know. Like, Watch to see if it el- escalates after this. Does he start cutting? But usually it's the running straight ahead. Then it'll be the cutting. If he goes back to he's running on a treadmill or running on a treadmill in water, that's that's definitely not a good sign because it means that they're still trying to nurse it along. Question two. More likely to contribute to the Seahawks in 2021. Alden Smith or Robert Kimdiche? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. Football field talent wise, I would say Alden Smith. And just kind of watching, you know, what we've seen through the first three days of practice and everything else and, and body type. And, and we know the opportunity that Pete gives those guys. And, and he he played last year. Yeah. He did. He's, he played last year. He, I think he sacked Russell three times, probably why he's here. Because by far the most success he had in any singular game was against this team as Pete looked out there at him and went, man, what a creature. I mean, that, that is how I draw my guys my guys up and, and we've seen Pete give guys at that position opportunities year after year after year to, to either try to make the team or contribute even during the season. Kim DJ will be an inside role player. He is explosive. Now obviously Alden has the off the field matter here at the end of August that, that's gonna play a role in that. So strictly from a from a football standpoint, I would I would give the edge, I think, to Alden. But obviously with what's lingering off the football field in the unknown of that and opportunity for Kim DJ. You're not loaded with five or six guys at those two tackle spots that are going to make mm-hmm. the team, right? I mean, put the list together. Puna's going to be there. Al Woods is going to be there. Kerry mm-hmm. Hyder. Kerry Hyder, for sure. I kind of view Hyder a little like I did Bennett all over the line as a five technique. Yeah. And, but yeah, Hyder will for sure be there. As far as your two inside D tackles, is Brian Monet guaranteed a spot? No. I think he's been a plugger and, and a pretty league average guy. Kandiche's got unique stuff to your to your conversation that that I jumped in or you you started kind of blue forty two with. They're talking Ugo Amadi, Marquise Blair, these guys that could take that next step. 
you know, the, to me, the ones that do that have quote unquote star power have something unique to them. They stand out. It jumps off the page. It's Frank Clark's power. It's Tyler Lockett's route running and, and quickness. It's Russell Wilson's command. It's it's Richard's length. It's Cam's strength. It's it's Earl's speed. There, there's something unique to them. Kim DJ obviously has unique explosion. He's never been able to harness it. He's never been able to bottle it. He's never been able to show it consistently enough. But he's going to give, you know, Pete's again going to give him more than likely the last significant opportunity of his career to show he can do it. I look at Alden Smith, Brock, and this jumped out to me from the weekend. Some comments that he made about last year in Dallas, because I've been just curious as to why Dallas was so willing to move on from him, despite him being pretty cheap and, of course, having all that potential. He said, I was pretty heavy last year, and I wanted to drop some weight to get used to being back at the weight I prefer. I was in the 260s, 270s. I was kind of fat last year. And I I wonder about that kind of fat comment. It's honest. It, it does also, though, make me wonder if he's going to be able to sustain the supposedly uh, the shape that he can be in for the course of a season because he was supposedly in amazing shape last offseason before Dallas brought him in. I don't know if that, that necessarily that carried over. That was Jake Laser, though, right? Yeah. Like, that was a guy that had a vested interest in pumping up his tires. Yep. Potentially. Yep. Yeah, that's also a COVID year. It's also a weird off season, right? Last year, it's there's a lot of factors and forces going against you. Now it's been a bizarre off season for Alden this year. It's not as if he's been in the Seahawk facility under their tutelage and training for the you know in great discipline as a Rashad Penny, for example, has been for the last few months. But if I said it once, I'll say it a hundred times. This place gives you every resource available. If you fail, it's on you. This is not a cheap organization. This is not a, oh, man, I wish we could have had breakfast and lunch. I, I wish there were supplements. I, I, I wish there was a good protein bar. I wish I wish the weight room was nice. Man, I wish it was pretty. I wish it wasn't, you know, it has everything. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a full platter right there waiting for you to make the absolute most of your talent and your career. Thus, I think they've had a lot of success, and you've seen tremendous de- development with people. And let's hope Alden Smith's name can be added to that. Why am I blanking on the former Oregon Duck that uh, Pete brought in a few years ago, number three pick? Deion Jordan. There you go. If you look at Alden Smith, how much different size, strength, speed, Alden Smith, Deion Jordan? Deion was younger, though, right? Absolutely. I mean, Alden's but did a lot less. Hurt. I mean, Alden's yeah. been an absolute star and one of the best in That's this true. Team. That's true, too. That's true. Yeah. They're built the same. They're the they're the same type of athlete. And Pete gave that guy ample ample opportunity to let his duck wings fly, and and obviously you know flashed every once in a while, but was certainly not a consistent force. And and let's hope for this team's sake in this division, Alden can be some of that. Question three: We just spoke with Seahawks cornerback Ugo Amadi. Our training camp coverage is presented by Precore Home Fitness and Brock. We. I have a lot of questions, I think, at that cornerback position. I, I think there's maybe the most possibilities at that position going into the year compared to any other one. And maybe it's Akella Witherspoon and DJ Reed, your number one and your number two, going into the season. But uh, this is going to be a, a strangely worded question. Mm-hmm. You can buy stock 
in any Seahawks cornerback. And obviously, some guys are going to have maybe lower prices, like a, I don't know, Trey Brown or something like that, given that he's a fourth-round pick. Others might be a little bit more expensive, let's say, TJ Reed, just given that he was one of your starters. If you could buy stock in any Seahawks cornerback going into the year, which cornerback would you pick with the highest, I think, potential for surprising upside yeah well i think it's dj reed it was surprising upside that he started to gain at the last at the end of last season in a system that fits him uh with a personality that that i think is right on par with what they do what they want and a guy that i i actually watched and went yeah that guy knows how to play the ball that guy knows how to, to get to the ball you know i i watch you know a lot of people play basketball you know my girls have both been basketball players i watch a lot of defenders and a defender can have really nice length and, and everything else and you know all the measurables but man they just they don't have instinct to find the ball and then last year on Haley macy's team little point guards going to colorado was the fiercest just toughest unbelievable instincts just destroyed teams just broke their will because of her ability, Kendall's her name, her ability to just attack the ball at all times. DJ attacks the ball. DJ has instincts. I, I don't know if I can say the same. I, actually, I know I can't about Trey Flowers. I can't say the same about Kill Witherspoon when I've watched him. He's got the length, got a lot of measurables. Man, should be a really good fit in his own scheme and, and kick step and everything else. But I love the fact they said the heck with it, man. Let's get a guy that's a little bit undersized. Maybe his length isn't what we want. Maybe he doesn't check all the boxes that we love as far as our corners here in Seattle and for Pete. But this dude can scrap. He can play. He can play the ball. He has instincts. And that's the guy that I want on the field. He was on the field at the end of last season. He's going to be on the field at the start of this season. And to me, I think has the most upside because of it. Blue 42. Brock joins us Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Our, our training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Brock, do you think the prototype for Seahawk Corners changed because other teams were looking for the long and lanky guys? That it just became, when it started, when John Schneider and Pete Carroll first got here, there were people that wouldn't look at somebody that tall. They're like, yeah, you probably mm-hmm. can't. He, he's probably not good coming in and out of breaks like you need to be. I think some of this is a reflection not of their preferences, but like, hey, those dudes are now hot commodities where they weren't before. So now there's an opportunity to get better players who are shorter. I think I would agree with that. I think a bigger determination, uh, you know, factor and, and determination in that is also this league has gone to space. Yeah, that's and you got to play in space, and yeah. you got to play in in the Kansas City Chiefs and the Rams and others that will spread you and tempo you, and you you know, like the college game, and you can't have enough corners. So your point about just the supply chain, yeah, I do think there have been a few uh, folks that, that have taken that same supply that you like of those long athletic corners and, and fit them in. But more than anything, man, you can't have two cover corners in this in, on your team you gotta have four right you're gonna play nickel teams that put you know 11 personnel on the field 70 75 percent of the time you know even 12 years ago when pete and john started you remember those teams that would line up and, and want to run it at you in, in, in your own division you know with the three tight ends and a jumbo package and jim harbaugh so i think evolution of the league playing more and more in space and the reality you can't have two guys that you feel good about you really have to have four going in any given season today Brock, we always love catching up with you. It'll be fun to talk tomorrow. Seahawks are in training camp, and maybe, maybe we'll have some news to talk about contracts. That'd be great. I hope so. I'm heading down to the old Fox seminar today, so mm. I'll see your buddy Jay Glazer and lots of folks, so maybe I'll have a nugget coming your way as well. Sounds good. Thank All you right, very boys. much, Brock. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Brock. That is Brock Heward. We'll be talking to him tomorrow for Blue 42. We'll get back to more Seahawks conversation at 830, including what I call the gravy guys. 
the gravy brigade mm-hmm. brigade that's coming up at eight thirty. The Mariners come out of Texas, certainly not. They were in position to sweep the Rangers, and they come out having lost two of three. They get walked off in back-to-back games. Their road trip now enters a crucial part. They've got three games in Tampa Bay, followed by four games against the New York Yankees. So it's three games against the Rays, who right now are just ahead of the Red Sox in the AL East, and then it's the Yankees, who have put a massive amount of resources into making a push for probably one of the wild cards. Yeah. Like that's they they've loaded an awful lot of eggs. They're probably not going to pass two teams in their own division to win the AL East. So this feels like a make or break segment of Seattle's schedule. If they are going to be part of the conversation for the playoffs, I I think they they can't just survive. They can't just go three or f- win win three of seven or two and five. I. I think they need to come out of this stretch with a winning record as well. Another 4-3 and three record. Yep, that's the only way if you're going to keep yourself in this playoff race to do that because those are two teams that you're competing against. And if you give them ground, no. Not happening. And they got to shake off what happened this weekend, which was unacceptable, embarrassing. I mean, if we're going to hold the Mariners to a standard, I think it's fair to do it now. At the very least, don't blow it to the Texas Rangers, who are a minor league baseball team. They aren't real. They don't exist. And they took you down twice. Thanks to some random dude who I've never heard of getting two walk-off hits against you. We have spent the first hour debating the the merits of the deals the Mariners did make, right? Yep. Did did trading Graveman sort of deal, uh, throw a, a wrench into the chemistry that this team had? Did it foul the locker room? Also, did they disrupt the bullpen? Let's talk about the deals they didn't make. And Jerry DePoto kind of, after the trade deadline, they didn't make any deals on the final day of the deadline as everybody's going out and pilfering from the Chicago Cubs and the Mets are getting a Javi Baez and who the Yankees uh, got Rizzo, the Giants trade for Chris Bryant. And there, there were two sellers, basically. The Nationals and the Cubs were the two big sellers. The Twins, they send uh, Jose Barrios to Toronto where he made his first start. The deals that they didn't make. Here's Jerry DePoto saying that basically they did the best they could without stepping beyond with what they what they were comfortable giving up. We are committed to this group of players. We feel like we've improved our team. You know, we added a we added stability to our starting rotation. We brought in a, a closer who remains with us for the three years beyond this season. Uh, we brought in five more years of control uh, of a young infielder who we think is uh, this is what we do. You know, is as the the Abraham Toro type uh, acquisition, and we've done quite well with it. So I'm pleased with the things that we've done. And, uh, you know, I wish we could have done a little bit more, but it didn't work out for us. And we we were committed to not blocking uh, the young players from getting experience. Have they not done all of the things that he just outlined there? They did. Did they make the team better for 2021? I think so. Got a Tyler starter. Anderson's added as a fifth starter. That helps. You got another arm in the bullpen. Maybe it's not Kendall Graveman, but it's not like you just threw away a position and didn't replace it. And you got a bat who has... You definitely, you definitely improved your lineup. You gave yourself a better option at second base. You'd been toggling between Shed Long and Dylan Moore. Toro, a switcher, Toro's a better spot, and he's also got some, some upside down the road. He might be your third baseman next year. You added three pieces. You lost one. Simple math, yeah, it's Kendall Graveman, but is is he so much more valuable than those three? Is the clubhouse dynamic, is that really something that took a massive catastrophic hit here, too? Obviously, they were mad about it, but I feel like it's something that they can eventually get over. Danny, I feel like a lot of the reaction to this trade 
it's coming from people who already feel one way or another about Jerry Depoto. Don't you? Like, you either are in with Jerry Depoto and believe, I would count myself as someone who actually does feel like he's taking this team in the right direction, or you're out and you weren't going to like what he did no matter what. I would agree with you. I wanted to believe that they were going to make a bigger addition. I wanted to see another starting pitcher here. And maybe maybe I was overly aggressive in the prospects that I would be have been willing to trade. And I still look at it like, okay, where are you going to get another front-end starter? Where, where are you going to get another? I think you need to add another guy in the offseason. You need to go into next season with Logan Gilbert, Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez, Yusei Kikuchi, and one more guy. I, I, I really do. I, I don't think you can count on Justice Sheffield or Justin Dunn right now as it is stepping up. And you probably need to plan seven or eight starters deep. Like that's you, If you go into a season with fewer than that, I think you're playing with fire in terms of how, how, how long you're going to be. I wanted to see that. And maybe I got carried away. But, but I wanted to see them add more. So I, my reaction to the trade deadline is I do think that they, they're nominally better in 2021. They're certainly better situated going forward. But I wonder if they did enough. This this team this team played its way to nine games above five hundred. Didn't didn't they earn the right to have something added, even if it meant giving up a prospect who's three or four years away? They did add though, and, and you know you said nominally added. Kind of. Should, they, how much should you add though to this team? I mean, how much could you legitimately have added to this team that struggles to score? I mean, you would need probably two or three players in that lineup that would make the lineup better, just so they're scoring runs on a daily basis you mentioned a starter that's going to cost a lot to get one of those guys I'm with you I do think they need a guy like that but with what they did I I I feel like Kendall Graveman is a guy that you probably weren't going to see here next year anyway and you made something of it it hurts the clubhouse but how long are we going to just say well the clubhouse man it just completely sapped all of their energy you know it's a long season and they they should be able to get over this move with time even if it may be does lead to some harbored resentment against those at the top of the food chain. Well, here's Jerry. We'll play one more cut from him saying that they'd they'd love to make a run at the playoffs this year, but that that really isn't the priority. And to Jerry's credit, this has been a consistent line. This is not something that he just started saying after the trade deadline. He's he's said this for a couple years now, but here he is saying really – uh, uh, about the trades really do coincide with the, the messaging that they've had about, about how they're rebuilding this. We're a young team. We're growing. We would, we would very much like to be in, in the hunt for a postseason berth this year, but we feel like 2022 and beyond are, are real opportunities for us. And, you know, the additions of, of players like Diego and Abraham Toro really help us in that regard. I get that. And I agree with him. And we, you said that a lot of people have already made up their minds because Ultimately, if you're someone who's saying, well, it's been 20 years since the playoff berth and they should have got, they've got an opportunity here and they should have gone for it. Well, A, you're blaming or holding this Mariner front office accountable for 15 years that wasn't on them at all. Mm-hmm. And that over the time, once Jerry and Scott kind of announced and said that they were going to go to a rebuild, they've really, they really have been pretty disciplined and consistent with what they say. There's part of me that's that's disappointed though, and I guess I I can understand how a veteran would look at it and feel like, okay, we've been sold on the idea of a rebuild, and we know we're kind of the fodder for this, and we might not be here when the benefits of this play out. And you're looking around, and you're like, dude, but we're nine games above 500. Like we've done our part here to pull the rope, and now it's the front office's turn right. to decide whether or not they believe in us, and they just kind of showed us that they 
kind of that they sort that they maybe believe in us. And I'm not going to entirely dismiss those feelings because they are right, but you got to get over it. You know, this is this is a sport more than any other one where guys get flipped all the time and other players are going to be replaced by guys who are playing in the minor leagues and there will be more of this to come. They're going to have to get used to it, you know, and I, I think you also have to wonder about some of the people who are most frustrated. Are they going to be here long term? And I would say that Kyle Seeger is definitely one of them. Is Mitch Haniger one of those as well? Is Mitch Haniger going to be here perhaps past the end of his contract? We will see. But, you know, it's something they're going to have to get used to. It's Danny and Gallant coming up next. There's a couple guys on this team who would make great gravy. We'll explain what that means. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Gravy, guys. You know a term, it's all gravy? That would be gravy? Alden Smith and Robert Kimdiche are gravy guys, and it has nothing to do with food. They're the kind of guys, Paul, that, hey, I love taking chances on these kind of guys, especially if you're a rebuilding team. But I don't invest much expectation. Over the weekend, Alden Smith and, and Kim DJ both talked to reporters at Seahawks practice. And it's led to a lot of, hey, what could it mean? How, how important could these guys be? Look, I don't know how much to expect. I do know that both of them have the talent to make an impact. They're former first-round picks. And Alden Smith, he was on pace to be one of the league's best pass rushers in, in history. And his, his career was derailed by substance abuse. Kim DJ is different. Kimdiche was just a really, really highly coveted college recruit first and then a first-round pick in the NFL who it just it never worked for him in Arizona. And there were kind of questions about whether it was his work ethic or just he's getting a chance. Both of them get a foothold to kind of reclaim careers. I love these sort of additions. I just look at it as if they're good, it's gravy. Have guys like this worked out recently for the Seahawks? I'd point to Josh Gordon as an example of it not working out. Yeah. Didn't a lot of lot of time. It, it didn't cost you that much, but you're True. right. Guys that it's worked out for. Mike Williams. Remember big Mike Williams? Yes. I think he was the top ten overall pick with the Detroit Lions. He became big. Like he he yep. really and with Tennessee, he came here, he got in shape. He had a really good season. It worked for a year. And then he played a second year and was not in as in as good a shape and generally fell down the the, the hierarchy of, of receivers here. Marshawn Lynch? Does Marshawn Lynch fit into this? Hmm. Marshawn Lynch was traded. Definitely they wasn't him working for, in Buffalo. Yeah, I, for, I, I, for a fourth and a fifth round pick. Look at his numbers in Buffalo. I mean, they they could have been better. They weren't. Is that because of just not getting along with those in Buffalo, not liking Buffalo, whatever it was? The fresh start definitely worked for him. Other guys that you could say that Dion Jordan is probably the closest comparison to either of these guys. It worked in that Dion Jordan was a rotational player for you in and out for a couple of years. And that's that's probably if that if Deion Jordan happens for either one of these guys, you consider it a success. Yep. Like someone who can who can contribute. I, the idea that one of these guys, Alden Smith, is too old to think that he is going to have some sort of Pro Bowl renaissance, and Kim Diche has never played at that level. He really hasn't even played at that level in college. He's been someone that's been more potential. If you get a season out of that, like that's 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 striking gold. I don't expect that. I don't think that's a reasonable. It's not even reasonable to really hope for it. I expect nothing out of Kim DJ. Nothing at all. I think there is potential with Alden Smith. He has done it before. He had three sacks against the Seahawks last year. But it's a matter of is he going to be able to stay in shape for the entirety of a year? I think there are some real questions about that in Dallas. I think he kind of acknowledged them. 
with some of the comments that he made this weekend. So with that in mind, it would be great to see either of these guys contribute. Obviously, we also have something else to keep an eye on with Alden Smith off the field. I mean, for all we know, the guy won't actually be on the roster this year, just given that case in New Orleans that we are still learning more and more details about. Been pretty quiet on that front. Smith is the only one of those two that you can predict, I think, anything from. And I think just because of what he was all those years ago, he can recapture some semblance of it. You're looking at him the same way I think you look at Josh Gordon, where you can talk yourself into the idea of him actually being a player. I, however, am attaching zero expectations to Alden Smith myself. Here's the other way to look at this and the other question here. Is this a worthwhile thing for a team that is in Seattle's position to be doing? Is this is is this a worthwhile exercise? Do you find enough? Because Seattle has made and they've they've done it consistently where they've dipped into former first round picks who have either been let go or moved on from their former teams. They've done it with Luke Jokel, Barkevius Mingo, other dudes that they've they brought in a ton of people that have just kind of washed out and they've gotten some contribution and it's not like they've been they've used it to flesh out depth are, are you better off looking for that of trying to find somebody that can tap into the potential that they had not filled fulfilled in previous picks or are you better off are, are you better off just trying to find and build someone from within that can take that job if you build someone with from within that can take that job great but you, you know there's a reason that you take flyers and guys like this you're not 100 sure it's going to happen you can't count on someone that's a fourth or fifth round pick to replicate what the guy did his rookie season. I'll, I'll point it out to Robinson out of Syracuse. I really liked what he did his rookie year, but are, are you expecting more of that? Are you going to see an untapped level that he can get to? He definitely deserves, I think, the opportunity over those other two, though. I, I, I would say that. I mean, he, I think, should get the first chance, and if it's not working out for him, then Alden Smith and Robert Kimdiche, okay, you get rotated in, and you better make the most of it because this is probably going to be, at least for Kimdiche, I would imagine his last chance. Here would be the other thing that I say in general with these sort of players that you hope to give them a foothold to reclaim their NFL career. I think generally it's best to let someone else pay them if they do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's I, reasons that these guys have not worked out thus far to the, to, in their career. And, you know, you just mentioned it with Mike Williams. You have one good year. What happens after that one good year? Do the old habits come back? And it's one of the toughest things because – you're you're kind of asking, does desperation create this? Does desperation, does this guy's desperation to get back into the league create, and it's kind of what seven-footers would have happen, what seven-footers would have happen when it comes to in the NBA where they have contract years and, and they're able to all of a sudden cash in and then they go right back to being the guy that they've been through the course of their career. All of these things, those those are. I generally think it's best policy to have someone else pay them to let yeah. someone else pay them. No, you got to be responsible, and you don't want to invest in a guy that you can't rely on. Alden Smith has proven because of his choices off the field that he's not reliable, and Robert Kimdiche, I would say, both on and off the field, has proven the same thing. Now they can definitely change things, and maybe for Kimdiche, maybe he finally has been woken up to some of the things that he maybe regrets now looking back. You hope for that, but sometimes these guys just can't stop getting in their own way. From the 425, it doesn't matter, Danny. These reclamation projects are in Pete Carroll's blood. He's going to do them no matter where the organization is at. 
There's part yeah. of me that's wondered that. I, I think these sort of trades or these sort of players work much better when you're a rebuilding team and you're trying to find guys to fill roles, right? When you're 2010 and you're looking for any receiver you can get because you come here and you think everybody's slow, it's much easier to find a role for Mike Williams. For the Mariners, it's much easier to take on somebody like J.P. Crawford to trade for Abraham Toro when you've got playing time and you're mm-hmm. looking for upgrades. It's much harder to use and find value for these guys when when you're fully stocked and in position to contend. Huh, interesting. I, I, I think when you are fully stocked and ready to contend, though, that you have a much greater probability of actually getting the most out of those guys. So I, I think if you're one of those loser juice, you know, franchises and you're just spinning the wheel, you might get that player. But is that player going to understand what's expected of him when he's playing for a team that's not good? Where with this one, I think there are expectations of other teammates that can hold you accountable and maybe get a little bit more out of you. But I would say temporarily, which is why I agree with you. You don't want to pay these guys even if they do end up working out. It is Danny and Gallant. Coming up next, we're going to get back to the Seattle Mariners and exactly what you liked or didn't like. Are we overlooking the benefits of dealing Kendall Graveman? That's ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. A lot of people feel that that Kendall Graveman trade messed things up for the Mariners. For now, for the future. But Danny, there was some good that came from the trades that the Mariners made before the deadline. And I want to specifically point at Abraham Toro, who balled this weekend. The guy is 9 for 18 since he joined the Mariners. He's had two home runs. He's had three doubles. He's got two three-hit games over the weekend against Texas. He's hitting 500 in a Seattle Mariners uniform. Now, maybe this isn't going to continue, but I got to say, a guy that has multiple three-hit games is someone that I'm feeling pretty good about, pretty bullish about, and maybe there is something to this idea and the little write-up that we saw about how nerds across baseball have been looking at Abraham Toro for a while, seeing him languish in Houston behind a great lineup, and that this guy is somebody that Houston found, they're good at finding, and that could be long-term for this Mariners team an answer to an everyday infield position. If you believe Jerry DePoto was incredibly smart and made the Mariners better, both in the short term with significant improvement to the long term, you point at Toro, right? Yep. Here is a guy that fits potential needs down the road and someone who has provided a market uptick at the weakest hitting position in your infield. Mm-hmm. Second, second base has been, a, has been a problem. You came into this year hoping that Dylan Moore could maintain what he did last year, and he has not. He's he's hit lefties okay. He's he's been average against lefties. Can't hit righties. He's been at a below average, and so you've seen Shed Long get some more opportunities. Toro looks like a huge huge improvement. And if you're a person that felt like okay, the Mariners are going to turn into a pumpkin here, teams that give up more runs than they score don't tend to finish with win- winning records, and that's eventually going to come home. Like all of that came. And if you're someone who believes that Kendall Graveman was a key to this team's success and a lot of the, the the mojo that had developed around them, you look at it and you say, well, they pulled, what else do you expect to have happen? So you get that. I always got this trade from a baseball value. I, I always understood this, that Kendall Graveman had pitched his way to a significant raise at the end of this season. That if you, you were trading, what, a little more than a third of a season of Kendall Graveman for a player that you liked 
who you'd have for five more years, including two years where he's as cheap, the most valuable thing in baseball. If you have an everyday player playing on one of those first three years in the big leagues before he gets arbitration eligible, that's what you get with Toro. I always understood the baseball part of it. I thought the clubhouse part is dangerous. I, I, I thought that messing with the chemistry of this clubhouse would be dangerous, and I, I, I think that we might have seen a little bit of that over the course of this weekend. But I've always got the baseball value part of it. The baseball value part of it should be the most important part of it. This, this... Except Danny, clubhouse chemistry matters, I right? know, but we're, we're, putting, we're putting too much into this. Aren't we? I mean, come on. This is not some sort of magical feeling that like creates better talent or something Dude, like they that. They spend a lot of time around each other. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you think about it. Like at other sports, you're spending, what, eight or nine hours a day working with each other and then traveling with each other. They spend a lot of time around each other. And they see a lot of comings and goings. Minor leaguers. All this happens in baseball on a regular basis, and yet it stinks. I'm not denying that it's a bummer for them. They clearly like this guy, but we're not talking about like a transcendent talent. We're talking about a guy who in, was having a really good year yeah. as a reliever in his first year as a reliever. There's no guarantee that that was going to continue after this season when he's age 31. The hard part about selling that, though, the hard part about selling that to the rest of the team is that this is a team that overachieved. And people thought was going to win 70 games, and instead it's nine games above 500. And usually teams in that position get improved. And maybe the Mariners did, but I, when you hear that trade announced, when you hear that trade announced, your initial reaction is not, hey, we got better for 2021. The initial reaction is they got somebody that's going to help them the next five years when they were figuring they weren't going to resign Kendall Graveman anyway. And that's the part that sticks in a player's cross. Yeah, and, and you know what? I get that. And you compare it with the moves that the other teams made, that Boston made, that New York made, that that all that Toronto made. Like, yeah, okay, they're, they're lagging behind. But I, I don't think we can say they didn't improve, you know, in the short term too. Maybe it's a small improvement compared to those other teams. I mean, you're not expecting Abraham Toro to provide the kind of a difference that maybe a Kyle Schwarber would for Boston down the stretch, you know, but or an Anthony Rizzo for New York. But you 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 added three and you traded one. I mean, I, I, I would just say by by definition, this team, which we would all agree, as you just said a little bit ago, is playing better than it actually is, they improve by adding two said team that is playing better than it actually is. But they all subtracted, also subtracted from the team. You're, we're, we're in agreement on this. We hate the trading for future NFL draft picks, right? Like yep. trading a capable veteran because you're basically saying like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go try and get somebody that's as good as that who will be cheaper. That, that's usually what you're saying. There's a little bit of that in baseball too because you could have gotten Abraham Toro and not given up Kendall Graveman. You would have had to give up one of your younger players that you like and it probably doesn't make as much sense for your long term. But if you're Kyle Seager, you don't care about that. If you're Kyle Seeger, you're like, dude, I've been here 10 years. I've been here 10 years, and I've watched different administrations navigate this same never-never land that we are in right now, where it's good enough to get people kind of excited, but not good enough to matter. And we've never had it where the administration looks at it and says, all right, we're going whole hog. We're, 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 we're dumping everything, and we're going to try to make it this year. And, and this year when it happens... You're like, dude, but we're nine games over 500, and we just completed this comeback. Like, I get that being a huge blow to the team where they're like, it doesn't matter what we do. They're going to try to improve themselves in 2023 more than 2021, and that stinks. But shouldn't it be how they operate? 
Yes. Yes, but there's the hesitation of, man, I thought this team had played itself into a chance to earn the right to get added to. Man, you're nine games. That wasn't a fallacy. They were nine games above 500. They were nine games above 500 at home, having won four of five in a series against the guys you were chasing in the division. They're still six games above 500. I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of crying over this. And yeah, the series has been a lot of crying. It, it's like it's it's one trade. Like I, I that that that's the part that I'm looking at, and and I just am. am I'm wondering if this is just us overreacting because we haven't seen a good baseball team in so long and, and that we're, we're lying to ourselves that maybe this team's a little bit better. But, I mean... No, man, people are crying because they're being told to eat their vegetables. And I get that. Like, you're being told, and it's not vegetables <laughs> that have them. bacon with them. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, that's basically what it is. Is like, here, it's good for you, and you're like, man... But we had fried chicken right there on the plate. And it's like, well, the fried chicken went for stuff that's going to provide better nutrients for you down the road. And you, you might want the fried chicken and the – but nope, we had to give up the fried – you're like, man, but I wanted – no, eat your vegetables. That's what this trade is. This is what's good for you. And, and he's right. Jerry DePoto's right from that regard. I just wonder – it nags at the back of me where, man – did they misread this market and think they were going to be able to make more additions because they probably sold, oversold what they were going to do a little bit too? Like they probably oversold what they were going to do a little bit too because even me, someone who's generally in agreement, was really hoping for a starting pitcher to come out of it and not just Tyler Anderson who's kind of a filler for hey, the, your I, number five starter. I'm with you. You know, I, I, I would have liked to see them do more. Don't get me wrong. I, I just feel like it's it's wrong to characterize it as if they did nothing. They, they added. Maybe it's not enough for this year, but I think they are slightly better than they were before the trade deadline. There's there's a lot to add to it. We'll get back to Mariners training camp or Seahawks training camp as well. Seattle Seahawks training camp is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The salesmanship of this, the way it was presented, is there something about the optics that made this a little bit harder to swallow? We'll talk about that next on Danny and Gallant.